Well, let me start by saying that today's message will likely offend many people. Some will say that it promotes antiquated mores that uh, reflect oppressive patriarchy. Others will feel that it's too progressive and undermines traditional gender roles. Please allow me to take a moment to state for the record my very passionate ambivalence to such opinions. As with anything else, the issue is not whether we like it, but whether we will submit ourselves to obey God's word. We're not going to be covering everything that the Bible says about marriage today. Not, not even close. Not even going to try to. We're only going to be looking at the idea of submission within marriage as we're in this mini-series within our All for One Ephesians series looking at Christian submission. That said, I'd like to take you back to our first sermon of this year and recap some of the things uh, that we learned about uh, that we learned about God's design for marriage at that time because uh, that actually sets up today's text. So with that in mind, going back to our January, I think it was January 3rd, it was the first sermon of the year from our Love Illustrated series. We looked at the core reality at that time that God designed marriage, sexuality, and family to illustrate His relationship to His people. Within that idea, we saw that God intentionally built marriage, sexuality, and family into the created order. Genesis 1 and 2 established that clearly. It's, it's built in. Last week, we talked a little bit about the idea that submission and authority are built into the created order. Well, God intentionally builds marriage, sexuality, and family from the get-go into the way He created the universe. Marriage is designed and instituted by God as a permanent covenant between one man and one woman. That is God's design and intent. Anything outside of that is outside of what God wills. Sexuality is good and God-pleasing when handled according to His design within that covenant context of marriage. Anything outside of that is contrary to God's design. So if you are playing at marriage, if you're engaged in marital activities outside of that covenant relationship, you are acting in contrast to God's will and in rebellion against His rule. If you are cohabiting outside of a covenant relationship, you're doing the wrong thing. If you are engaged in any kind of sexual activity outside of that covenant relationship of marriage, you're doing the wrong thing. We need to understand that. But within that covenant context, it is good and God-pleasing. Along that line, and as an extension of it, children are a blessing from God. They're good. They're God's intention. Right? That doesn't mean that everyone has children, but this is God's good intention for the human race. Marriage, sexuality, and family are inseparable concepts. We saw also that God communicates His relationship to His people in terms of marriage, sexuality, and family. In other words, that's how He communicates to us the way He interacts with us. He describes Himself and His relationship to His people using the, the word picture, the metaphor of marriage, sexuality, and family. Some good examples of that are Isaiah 54, where he calls himself Israel's husband. Uh, in Hosea 2, he describes through the prophet's really unprofitable marriage to his wife, Gomer. He describes through that metaphor, that living metaphor, his relationship to his wayward, unfaithful people. This is a constant theme in Scripture that God communicates His relationship to His people in terms of marriage, sexuality, and family. Four things that we see in that idea are that God's love is volitional. It's a choice. God's love is faithful. That's His nature. God's love is intimate. He has a desire for His people, and His people are to desire Him. And God's love is holy. It's not like the self-serving 
loves that we're so familiar with. God's love is holy. All of these characteristics are his intent for marriage and family and sexuality. And we see a picture of his love for his people there. Third, we looked at the idea that our handling of marriage, sexuality, and family reflects our relationship to Christ. We'll dig into that a little more today in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. It really continues through chapter 6, verse 9. But this picture uh, of the handling of marriage, sexuality, and family reflects our relationship to Christ. With that in mind, when we get it wrong in these areas, we distort the picture of who God is. Therefore, sexual sin is no small matter. It's not just a matter of whatever's cool between consenting adults. It is given to communicate truths about God in holiness by His design. Anything outside of that blasphemes God. It distorts the picture of who He is. Along that line, parenting is a sacred duty and a holy privilege. We need to look at it as such. It's not something that is for us to, to, to use as a mark of success. Boy, we've arrived now. We've gotten married. We've got our kids. That's the goal we've been working toward. We got all of our good times out of the way, and now we can have kids. It's not something to be avoided because we got a lot of fun yet to have. It is a sacred duty and a holy privilege. Obedience in these matters is central to discipleship. Marriage, sexuality, and family are vital to Christian evangelism. So with this review as a backdrop, talking about the concept of God's working through the picture of marriage, sexuality, and family in order to illustrate his relationship to his people, let's move forward into our sermon today. Let's pray together. Father God, you have given us so much and we have taken it for granted. What you have desired most to give us is yourself. And we have too far too too often chosen everything else but you. Your greatest command is for us to love you with our whole hearts, with our whole beings, ahead of everything else. And we have so often chased after your blessings and your gifts, and not after your heart. Lord, as we look at this passage today and try to understand your call to us and this hard idea of Christian submission, specifically within the context of marriage today, pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, that we might receive your word. That you might change us from within so that this would be more than just gaining information, but that we would be transformed by your Holy Spirit. Guide us, Lord. Silence every other voice, every deceiving spirit that might exalt itself above the knowledge of you. We know the enemy wants to, to deceive, distract, and discourage us. We reject that. Father, in this moment, we confess to you that we have been unholy. You have said that only those with clean hands and a pure heart can approach you, and we're not that. So, Father, we confess our sins to you, knowing that if we fail to do that, then we're liars. We know in our heart of hearts that we sin regularly. We fall short of your glory. But you have promised that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what's more, you cleanse us from all the unrighteousness within. Father, purify us. Wash our hands, Lord. Purify our hearts that we might come before you. Speak to us. Change us. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, <coughs> excuse me, we, uh, last week we had this uh, introduction, if you will, this overview of Christian submission. And, and our core reality last week as we looked at it was that the, the right relationship of authority and submission is essential to the Christian life. And our memory verse for last week that was central to the entire message was Ephesians 5.21. I would invite you to turn to Ephesians 5 if you have not already. This is where we will find ourselves. Okay, so Ephesians 5.21, as we saw, is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not speaking to marriage. This is speaking to the church. This is the culmination, if you will, of what he says at the beginning of chapter 4, in light of who you are now in Christ, because of everything that God has done for you in choosing you, adopting you, predestining you to be holy and blameless in His sight, saving you from yourself, from the sinful death life that was your nature from birth, your innate condemnation as children of wrath, he has brought you in Christ from death to life. And if that is true of you, if you have received him through faith, then you have been saved by grace. You have been, been made his wholly accepted, dearly loved children in a relationship that can never be undone. You can't blow it, no matter how much you blow it. Therefore, Walk worthy. Live a life that fits who you now are. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. And he gives a bunch of details working from 4 through chapter 5. And at, at chapter 5, verse 21, we see this idea, this sort of culminating attitude for the Christ follower, submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. So last week we kind of broke that down as th that we are called to submit. The right relationship of authority and submission is essential to the Christian life because it's God's design to reveal His own nature and relationship to His creation. God has built authority and submission into all of creation, as I mentioned earlier, in every part of the universe. This is why Christians love science. If you love the Bible and you love God, you love science because science observes the natural world. And every time we observe the natural world, you know what we see? We see God. In the created order, we see the creator of that order. And in every part of the universe, from the biggest to the smallest, God has built in this idea of authority and submission. Submission is inextricably tied to humility and obedience. The moment you hear the term submission, you get a picture in your mind. Maybe it's meekness, maybe it's codependency and, and timidity. But in every case, it is the opposite of bravado. It is the opposite of puffing oneself up. Submitting myself has a giving up, a surrender involved in it. To have an attitude of submission, I have to choose to stand down when I could choose to stand up. It's inextricably tied to humility and obedience. Humility is a mindset. It's an attitude. Submission is a decision coming out of that mindset. Because I have this humble mindset, this humble attitude, I choose to submit, to put someone else's needs or someone else's authority ahead of my own. Rather than puffing myself up, I choose to stand down. Obedience is the action that is produced by submission. Submission is the choice produced by humility. You can see how they connect. So we're called to submit. We see also in that verse that we're called to submit to one another. The right relationship of authority and submission is essential to the Christian life because the humility of mutual submission undergirds the unity of the church. 
The humility of mutual submission undergirds the unity of the church. The glory of God is displayed in the unity of, ch- of the church. He's been establishing that throughout this letter. But we need to recognize also that mutual submission does not negate a variety of roles. And he clarifies that for us in case we missed it in chapter 4, that Christ has given grace as he apportioned it, not perhaps as you chose or desired it, so that some are given gifts and roles that are different from others. Submission within the church does not negate a variety of roles. We see also that we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's not just that we're called to submit generally. He's not saying all, all y'all just be, you know, limp dish rags and let everybody push you around. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying that we submit to everyone all the time. We do have an attitude of submission toward one another within the church. There's a, a deference that, that takes place there. But specifically the reason for this. Why is this important to the Christian life? Because we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The right relationship of authority and submission is essential to the Christian life because it is a reflection of the reality of Christ in his people. We show Christ when we think like and act like Christ. And as we saw in Philippians 2 earlier, he submitted even though he is in his very nature, one in essence and equal with God the Father. We're called to choose the same attitude as Jesus. Disciples become increasingly like their master. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's the nature of a disciple is to become more and more like the master. Ambassadors reflect the character of the one they represent. We're called in 2 Corinthians 5.20 to be ambassadors for Christ. So if we're going to be in this world representing Christ, then we need to choose the mind of Christ. We need to choose the attitude of Christ. And therefore, the right relationship of authority and submission is essential to the Christian life because it's a reflection of the reality of Christ and His people. All right? So now, having established in verse 21 that Christ's followers are to honor Him, by their attitudes of submission toward one another, Paul goes on in the rest of this to sort of flesh out this this concept in various relationships. Today, in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, we're going to see this specifically regarding Christian submission in the context of marriage. Okay? This is important if you're not married. Because we need to understand how this works. Some of you are too young to be married. Some of you are too old to, to uh, do it again. You've, you've been married and you're like, nah, done that, I'm done now, right? Some of you are currently married. Some of you are not married and wish that you were. <laughs> Some of you are married and wish that you weren't. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't funny. and some of you have been burned and you don't ever want to go there again we need to understand how to do this right how to live out God's design for the holiest state of matrimony today's core reality is that Christian submission in marriage reveals Christ's relationship to his church Christian submission in marriage reveals Christ's relationship to his church. Let's take a look at the text. Ephesians 5. I'll read verse 21. We're going to focus in on 22 to 33. Again, all of this comes after the the idea that we are to walk worthy of the calling we've received. We don't earn God's favor this way. How small would he be if we could earn his favor with anything that you and I do. But because we've been saved by grace and have been made his children, we need to walk in a way that fits. Therefore, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now what does that look like as we flesh it out? 
in marriage, 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Christian submission in marriage reveals Christ's relationship to his church. Now, as we walk through this, there are some ideas that we want to make sure that we get. When we get to the end, I'll talk a little bit about some uh, possible you know, questions or controversies or conflicts that, that might come out of it. First off, notice this. Husband and wife are equal in value. Husband and wife are equal in value. There have been many abuses over the generations where women are seen as lesser. And in some societies, this was typical in pagan society, pre-Christian society. In the Roman Empire, women had, had many opportunities to do many things, including very many prominent and wealthy women. But they were still second-class citizens. So were children. There was a hierarchy of worth, of value. And children were about the same as slaves, just slightly above slaves, and in some cases, below. Women were above children, but they weren't equal with men. Power reigned supreme. Talk about a toxic hierarchy. This patriarchy idea that we talk about, believe me, this does not come from the church. It does not come from Christianity. It does not come from Judaism. In fact, among the ancient nations, Israel was where women and children were elevated and protected. And as Israel lost sight of that over the progressing generations, the church in Jesus Christ elevated women and children even beyond what was seen in Israel. Husband and wife are equal in value. Paul's been establishing that all believers are not only equal, but we're all one. We're we're of the same worth, but not just the same worth. We are one body in Christ. We are without difference or division because of all of our fleshly identities. If we're each united to Christ, then we're also united to one another. This oneness is a pervasive truth for all in Christ, There's no racial, ethnic, gender, or other human division, no spectrum of varying values, no second-class citizens. Keep uh, Ephesians 5 marked and turn back just a a page or two to Galatians chapter 3. Probably a couple of pages. Galatians chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, we're just going to read... Man, I want to read so much of this, but I'm just going to read uh, verses 26 to 29. Paul writes to the Galatian church, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Notice the all in these things. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're going to be doing our baptism service tonight. 
And everyone who's being baptized tonight, as was the case then, has made the decision in their heart to follow Jesus. A decision made because the Holy Spirit took hold of them, opened their eyes, allowed them to see that following the flesh leads to death, and trusting Christ gives life. So all who are baptized into Christ, who are identified with Christ, identified with His body, the church, are baptized into His death. Okay? Moreover, they have been clothed with Christ. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You died to self, you were raised to a new life in Him. Verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul is telling us husband and wife are equal in value. Notice this, men and women, yes, you might notice there's a change. I'm not talking about husband and wife. I'm talking about the sexes themselves. Men and women, from the beginning, are equally created in God's image. Men and women are equally created in God's image. Turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, if you would. Genesis chapter 1. It's in the very front of your Bible if you're not sure where it is, because Genesis means beginning, so where else would it be? Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Notice this, male and female, He created them. God, by design, creates male and female. It is His choice. He makes you the sex that you are, by his design, equal in the image of God. Every person, an image bearer. Jump ahead to uh, chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Jump ahead to verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So the connection between the equality of men and women being made of the same stuff. They are literally one in essence. In marriage, they are rejoined again as one flesh. Men and women are equally created in God's image. Not only that, back in Ephesians again, man and woman are equally saved by grace. Man and woman are equally created in God's image. Man and woman are equally saved by grace. Let's just do a a quick flip through Ephesians, and you'll see in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following his desires and thoughts. How many of us? All of us. Right? No exceptions. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Understand, if it is by grace, it is not by merit, it is not by status, it is not by intrinsic worth, You don't get saved because of who you are. You get saved by God's grace. Because who you are in yourself takes you on a fast track to hell. That's where every single human being is destined for. Except for the grace of God that saves us. For all who will receive it by faith. Man and woman are equally saved by grace. He continues, though, in chapter 4, 
chapter 4, looking at verses 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What do you think is the most important word in that verse? How about one? How do I know? Because he says it a lot, right? Pretty sure if he's going to keep repeating it, there's something he wants you to get, right? There's one, 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 one. It's not a different salvation or a different God or a different faith or a different baptism if you're a woman than if you're a man or if you're black than if you're white or if you're poor than if you're wealthy or if you're American than if you're Hungarian. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what your human identity might be. There's one God. There's one faith, one baptism. He is the Lord of all of us. Men and women are equally saved by grace. But notice this, in verse 7, and continuing, we'll, we'll look at 7 and then we'll jump to 11 and 12. But to each one of us, grace has been apportioned as Christ, has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Men and women are equally saved by grace, but notice as he says this, that doesn't take away the equality, does not take away from the difference in roles, the distinction that God has. Christ gives separate gifts, separate roles within the church for his purpose that God's glory might be revealed in the church. With that in mind, mark this down. Husband and wife perform different roles. Husband and wife perform different roles. Christian marriage honors one another within God's uniquely assigned roles. If we're going to reflect the reality of Christ in our marriage, then we need an attitude of submission, of deference. I put my mate's needs ahead of my own needs. I focus on my character, my obedience to Christ, my compliance with the commands of God. I don't focus on their need to fix their character so that they can meet my needs. My job is to meet theirs. That's the attitude of submission that should be throughout the Christian church. That's our calling. In marriage specifically, we manifest that by accepting the roles God has assigned to us. Husband and wife perform different roles. To do this, God's design for marriage requires a heart that reflects Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the system, and God pronounces the curse first to the serpent, then to the woman, then to the man, one of, one of the aspects that he speaks to the woman is that from here on out, now it's, it's been a good thing. They've already had this union together. They have been one flesh, presumably have had who knows how many children. Sin hasn't entered. Death hasn't entered yet. Who knows how long this has been? We're not told. We don't get a record of any of the children until Cain, but presumably there have been many more before this. But now, when sin enters, everything changes. And he says, now your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It's part of the curse. The roles were probably already there as we see how it plays out in the, in the preceding chapters, 1 and 2. In this created order, man's created first. Woman is created from man and for man. And it fits the picture that we see in the rest of the Bible of God's relationship to his people. And yet, up until the curse, up until sin, there's no conflict, tension or resentment over that. Now it begins. I want to tell you, wives, 
If you have a hard time submitting to your husband, join the club. That's how it is supposed to be in this fallen and broken world. Right? It's not natural. Because i got to tell you, I don't know necessarily who I'm speaking to here, but your husband's probably a jerk. My wife's husband's a jerk. Guys do dumb stuff, don't we? I see, I see some nodding heads. Women afraid to say amen, but you know. Guys do dumb stuff. So submitting to your husband's authority can just rankle you right out of the gate. Again, some of you, the moment you heard this text, the moment you knew this is what we were talking about, the hair on the back of your neck stood up, and you're like, is there any way for me to justify skipping church today? Can I just slip out? Because it's hard. The Bible does not say that it's easy or that it's supposed to be easy. Discipleship never is. Husband and wife perform different roles. It requires a heart that reflects Jesus, a heart of submission, very much that Philippians 2 mindset for us to be able to get here. Write this down. The Christian wife honors Christ by playing the role of the obedient church, the bride of Christ. The Christian wife honors Christ by playing the role of the obedient church, the bride of Christ. The husband honors Christ by playing the role of Christ in sacrificial love. The Christian husband honors Christ by playing the role of Christ in sacrificial love. So we have two distinct roles among equals. I don't think I can stress that enough. Let me see if I can help you understand it a little bit. Because God has ordained football as a great illustration of all things holy and spiritual, I'm going to use football as an example. One of the things that I've always loved about this sacred game is that I don't know of any other sport where so many do so much so that one person can get all the credit. Everybody talks about Tom Brady as the great quarterback, and, and boy, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady did this. No question, Tom Brady's great at what he does. But it takes 11 guys on the field, not one. If he throws the perfect pass and nobody catches it, then the pass is worthless. He can be as brilliant as you want, but if he's on his back, he can't do much. He needs guys blocking for him. Within a football team, there has to be chosen, volitional, voluntary submission to one another. Everyone on that team is equally on the roster. But they've been assigned different roles. The center who hikes the ball is every bit as important. He doesn't get paid the same. He doesn't get his name in the paper. But he's every bit as important as the quarterback who gets all the accolades. Because if he doesn't do his job, it never gets started in the first place. There is a difference in role, and it's important for us to recognize that. I mentioned, I think, in our podcast Tuesday, but most of you probably didn't get to hear it because the audio was terrible on YouTube. But up here as we're singing, we've got our, our worship band here, and I don't know if you know this or not, not, these are all volunteers, none of them are paid staff, right? They're here by choice, and they serve us, they serve the body with the gifts that God has given them, because God has chosen to give them those abilities, right? Not all of us do that, we serve in a variety of ways, but even within the band, while they're all equally part of the band, there's one leader, there's one drummer, a couple of keyboardists, a guitarist. They all do different things. I didn't mean to leave out the bassist and the vocalist. They all do different things. And there is inevitable conflict whenever they get together to try and do it. Band say amen, right? right. It's inevitable. But you, because they all have different brains and different giftings and different perspectives. And they bring these to the table and they have to choose to submit to one another. And they have to choose to submit to the role they have been assigned. 
if the drummer says, I want to be in charge today, and decides he's going to throw his weight around, or his sticks around, not that that ever happened. He has to make the choice in his own heart to surrender himself to the greater good of the team and submit to the leadership of someone else. If the keyboardist hears a song a particular way and really thinks this is the way to go, that idea has to be a part of the bigger picture and sometimes has to submit to the leader or to others to let that thing go. If not, we have chaos. This is the picture of the church, mutual submission to one another with distinctions and roles, with authority and submission, revealing the nature of God and his relationship to his people. And it is exactly the same thing we see in marriage. The Christian wife honors Christ by playing the role of the obedient church, the bride of Christ. The Christian husband honors Christ by playing the role of Christ in sacrificial love. I'm, I'm going to move on to the next point, and then we'll come back to the text uh, for both of these together for the sake of time. But I want you to be able to see how this fits. Husband and wife bear different responsibilities. All right, they're equal in value. They perform different roles. Husband and wife bear different responsibilities. When you see that word responsibilities or when you write that down, you should have in your mind and maybe mark it in your margins, weight. It's the idea of weight. There is a heaviness to responsibility. There is a burden. And these roles carry a lot of weight. The right relationship of authority and submission is essential to the Christian marriage, and each one is responsible to God for his or her own obedience to the assigned role. How does that work out? This way. The Christian wife teaches true discipleship through Christ-like submission to her husband. The Christian wife teaches true discipleship through Christ-like submission to her husband. Remember how Jesus lived his life on earth. Meek, humble, gentle, submitted to rulers who were corrupt while he was without sin. Choosing to lay down his life for us while we were still his enemies. We weren't even looking for him. And he did this for us. That's the kind of submission that the Christian wife displays in submitting to her husband, not because she recognizes him as her innate superior, absolutely not. If you've ever served in the military, you understand this. You don't, <laughs> you don't submit to an officer because they're a better person than you. And if you've known any, you probably know, eh. Yeah, some of you have served, you know. They might be knuckleheads. You might, you might be a, a master sergeant or, or <laughs> a, a gunnery sergeant, and you have to submit to some butter bar lieutenant who doesn't know what the heck they're doing. But they've been assigned the role, and you follow. A good one will listen to the wisdom from those under their command. But in any case, submission is chosen, and it is required. The Christian wife teaches true discipleship through Christ-like submission to her husband. Notice this, the Christian husband's treatment of his wife is the primary picture of the character of Christ for his family. The Christian husband's treatment of his wife is the primary picture of the character of Christ for his family. Husbands, your responsibility is you get to show your wife your children, and all who are watching what Jesus Christ is like. And if that weight doesn't sit heavy on your shoulders, then you're not paying attention. The way you treat your wife, the way you love your wife, displays for all who see, most especially your wife and your children, how Christ loves the church. 
if you do it wrong, you are blaspheming God. You are displaying a distorted picture of who God is. That's heavy. You are spiritually responsible. He calls you the head here, the head of the wife, the head of the family. We use the term. I don't know if we always think about what it means. Part of the body, equally part of the body. But you're the part responsible for governance. Which means everything that happens in your family, your children's walk with God, your wife's walk with God, it sits on your shoulders. That's especially hard. And those of you who have served in any kind of leadership recognize you don't get to choose how someone else complies. Other people make their own choices, and I can't choose for them. But the way I lead my family, the way I treat my wife, if I fail to demonstrate the kind of love, the sacrificial love that Jesus does, then I'm distorting the picture of who he is. My job is to give my children and my wife a reason to want to follow me specifically so that they will see Christ and want to follow Him. Christian husband honors Christ by playing the role of Christ in sacrificial love. The Christian wife teaches true discipleship through Christ-like submission to her husband, and therefore the Christian husband's treatment of his wife is the primary picture of the character of Christ for his family. Let's take a look at the passage again. Excuse me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The way you treat your husband, the way you respond to him, the way you support him, the way you respect him, teaches your family, your children, even your husband, it teaches them how to walk with God. It teaches them how to be a disciple of Christ. It's a picture of what the church is meant to be. If you get it wrong, you will distort their understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. That's a lot of weight. It's a lot of responsibility. But you're not responsible for how your husband leads. He is. You are responsible for the way you follow. I didn't make it up. I'm just reading it from the book. Husbands, you are responsible for your role. Notice what he says. Husbands, by the way, notice, in case you think wives get the really rough end of the deal here. I've heard that said, well, wives have to submit. Why do husbands? They just have to love. If that's, if that's your idea, then you have a gross misunderstanding of what this love is. Let's read what he says. Notice, there's about twice as much said to the man as to the woman here. Husbands, love your wives. Notice the kind of love. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know how it went with Jesus, right? How did he display his love? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus laid down his life for his bride to the point of death. Husbands, that's your job. That's the kind of love you are to have for your wife. That's the kind of leader you are to be, a servant leader. Not, woman, listen to me because I'm the man of the house. (laughs) that is the opposite of Christ-like submission you are a leader with a submitted heart even in your leadership a deference laying down your life for her why? to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word the cleansing the renewal, the refreshing that comes through discipleship. Husband, make your wife want to follow. 
by being a leader worth following. It doesn't matter if you want to. It doesn't matter if you feel like a leader or if you're particularly gifted. It's your job. Get better at it. Step up because you have a responsibility before God. Jesus gave himself for his bride to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, we are to love our wives to make her holy so that she might be presented to God, to Christ, as a radiant bride without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, he says, verse 28, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me just say, if you are pushing your wife around, if you're trying to be the dominant, you know, if, can I say toxic male? <coughs> so tired of these terms. So much jargon out there. If you're being that guy, you're doing the opposite of this. You are failing. You need to love her as you love your own body. What do you do when you get cold? You do something to get warm. You grab a blanket, a sweater, turn up the heat, turn down the air conditioning, whatever it takes. When you're hungry, you get some food. When you're thirsty, you get something to drink. In the same way, you need to be watching out for your wife's needs the exact same way you would for your own. We need to do this just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. This is why we see him quote here the picture from Genesis, from Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will lift, leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The becoming of one flesh of the man and woman reflects the unity, the one flesh nature of Christ and the church. We are his body. He is our head. The picture continues. And he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, don't hyper-spiritualize it and fail to take care of business. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. Practically love your wife. 1 Corinthians 13, not proud, not boastful, looking after her needs, not how you feel, not whether she's worthy of it, but the agape love of Christ. And the wife must respect her husband. Notice this. Husband and wife share a mission. Husband and wife share a mission. It's a profound mystery. But as Paul is talking to us about this, he's talking about Christ and the church. God's design for marriage is for our good and His glory. Marriage is designed to be an illustration of Christ and His church. Authority and submission in marriage is not about value, and it certainly isn't about what you or I might want. It's about illustrating the Lord's relationship to His people. Equal teammates playing specifically assigned roles for the purpose of showing the world the beauty of Christ and His church, which brings me to the last point for you to fill in. In Christian marriage... Husband and wife work together to display the beauty of union with Christ. In Christian marriage, husband and wife work together to display the beauty of union with Christ. Your purpose in marriage is the same as your purpose in the church to display the glory of God in the unity of His people, playing the roles we've been assigned with an attitude of submission that reflects the reality of Christ through our relationships. Your marriage is for evangelism and discipleship. It's the reason for it. It's our primary task in case you thought marriage was about making you happy. It ain't about you. It's all about Him. This is why I regularly tell couples being married that anybody, by God's common grace, can have a lasting, vibrant, good marriage. 
But only those whose home and heart is centered on Christ can have the best marriage. Because only those who are devoted to Christ can actually do what marriage is designed to do. Everybody else can get the benefits of it. And you can do part of it right. You, you still end up, when you do it right, displaying these things, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But only those who know Christ can display the, display the glory of Christ by submitting their hearts like Christ. Now, you may still have some, some struggles, some questions, controversies. Let me just quickly address a couple of questions. Is it ever right for a wife not to submit to her husband? Some of you are probably wrestling with that. You know, I, I don't know if I should submit to my husband in this, or I, I haven't been very submissive, or my husband is not a believer. I, 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 how can I follow my husband if he's not a believer? Is it ever right to resist those in positions of authority? Is it ever right for a wife to resist her husband? Could, it ever, could there be a time when a wife has a responsibility to resist her husband? Is it ever wrong to submit to authority? I'm going to turn to one passage, but before I do that, I just want to point out a broad concept. Authority is always, always to be followed. Rightful authority. And it is always right to submit to God ahead of everyone else. If a husband is leading in a way that dishonors God, it is appropriate, it is commanded that a wife should follow God, not the husband. Make sense? Okay. God first. If the husband is not leading in a way that is conducive to God's glory and honor, then don't. Right? That applies to anybody else. An illegal order does not need to be followed. But, sometimes, it can be questionable. I don't know if I should or if I shouldn't. Turn to First Peter, if you would. If you're in Ephesians, go back toward Revelation. This is the last thing I'll have you look up today. First Peter chapter 3. They get skinny back there. Once you get past Hebrews, the books get kind of thin. So Hebrews, James, then Peter's got a couple of letters. John's got three letters. Okay, Somewhere in there you're going to find First Peter chapter 3. I love hearing those pages turn. Keep it up. And while you're getting there, I'm going to go ahead and start. Ephesians, First uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, I'm going to back up to, to chapter 2, verse 27. I really want to read the rest of it, but we're going to just start with 27. Speaking of Christ, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was mistreated. He was abused. He was even murdered. He was falsely accused, falsely arrested, falsely convicted, falsely condemned. They insulted him, but he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. God did an amazing thing in Christ's unjust suffering which happened because he submitted himself and allowed himself to be mistreated he continues wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands not to everybody by the way you're not you're, you don't have to submit to somebody else's husband you have to submit to your own husband that's the role so that if any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. It's not condemning those things, but that's not where your beauty comes from. Rather, it should be that of your inner self 
the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Peter goes on to talk about husbands. Husbands in the same way. In the same way, that's what he's saying to the wives. Okay, different, different details, but in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I take that to be physically weaker. Some would see this as controversial. That's okay, deal with it. The point is, you are responsible for her. Treat her as someone that you are responsible for. How do you know if you're doing it right? When should I resist? When should I submit? In all of it, judge it by whether or not you're glorifying God in it. And when you act like Jesus and you submit, even when submission is hard, even when that leader, that husband, doesn't seem like they're doing right, to the extent that you are able, when you submit or when you resist in a way that reflects Christ, in a winsome way, the purpose here is that you might change them, not by preaching at them, but that they might be won over to Christ through your actions. How can I know whether to stand down or stand up? How can a wife know whether she's being submissive or passive? Whether she is righteously assertive or pridefully rebellious? Again, Philippians 2. Have the attitude, have the mindset of Christ. Recognize who you are in reality and choose to submit to the role that you've been given for the glory of God, out of reverence for Christ. And to the extent that you are able to display Christ-like submission in that relationship, God gets the glory. And to the extent that submitting to ungodly leadership takes glory away from God, resist in a way that reflects Christ. If you are getting your back up because you have rights, you might be veering off toward prideful rebellion. When I start to defend my rights... My focus is wrong. That's hard to hear for us. As Americans, we like rights. My job is to defend the rights of others. But if I'm going to act in a Christ-like way, I need to step away from natural values to supernatural. Away from worldly values to heavenly values. What about the husband? How can the husband know if he's leading or if he's domineering? How can he know whether he is meek in terms of being humble or weak and failing to lead? We have an entire society with men who don't know how to be men. We don't know how to lead rightly. We don't know how to look like Christ before our wives. We either sit around and let her lead Not that she's not capable of it, but that's not her job, her responsibility. And when we abdicate our role, we force our wives out of theirs. And we have a distortion in the picture of Christ and the church. And the men who are not being passive are too often domineering. They're they're pushy. They think somehow it's about them. But men, you have zero authority on your own. None. You have no intrinsic authority at all over, your, over the woman, over your wife, over women in general. None. You have only the delegated authority of Christ. And to the extent that you wield it in a way that reflects Christ, you are leading. When you start getting filled with yourself and you find yourself bossing Rather than laying your life down, you're doing it wrong. 
when we love like Jesus, when we look like Jesus in the way we serve our, our wives, then we create a scenario where she will want to follow. Because Jesus is beautiful. And the more you look like him, the easier you are to follow. And the more you look like you, you're just inciting rebellion. Our memory verse for today as we wrap this up, Romans 12.10. It captures the attitude that we're talking about. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Whether you're a wife or a husband, it, this applies to what we'll talk about next week in parenting. It applies to what we'll talk about later on in, in work. And as we're dealing with all of these things, if this is your attitude, that you're devoted to one another in love, you honor one another above yourselves, then you're getting this idea of Christian submission right. This is the picture Paul gives us of Christ in Philippians 2, as we read earlier. The choice to submit to put another's needs ahead of oneself, and to perform the role God has assigned. This is precisely how Christian submission in marriage reveals Christ's relationship to his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us this picture. Lord, not so that we can be better at marriage, but thank you for giving us marriage so that we can be better at knowing and following you. Help us to learn throughout the church in all of our relationships to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who did not consider his equality something to be grasped, but made himself like a servant. Father, help us today to remember the sacrifice that he made for us and to emulate that as we seek to live worthy of the calling we've received. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.